You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. This podcast was recorded on the traditional, ancestral, and stolen lands of the Musqueam people. We are committed to ensuring Indigenous women's rights to health and safety and the equal opportunity to participate in a manner that recognizes and respects Indigenous cultures and traditions. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Women's Health Interrupted. I'm Sarah Williscraft. And I'm Chevy Mehra. Today, we are going to be discussing gynecologic cancers and how they might differ from other forms of cancer with Stephanie Lamb and Nicole Kay. Stephanie Lamb is the research manager of the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative, or the GCI, a province-wide initiative aimed to accelerate transformative research on the prevention, detection, treatment, and survivorship of gynecologic cancers. An important part of her role is in the area of patient engagement and patient-oriented research. She chairs and facilitates the GCI's Patient and Family Advisory Council, where she builds relationships with gynecologic cancer patient partners and works with researchers to enable patient-oriented research. Nicole Kay is an experienced communications professional and a patient partner with the Gynecological Cancer Initiative. She also co-hosts the Gynecologic Oncology Sharing Hub podcast, or the GOSH podcast, alongside Stephanie, which aims to accelerate transformative research on gynecologic cancers. In her early 30s, Nicole was diagnosed with cervical cancer and underwent intense treatment, including surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy, resulting in the loss of her fertility. Nicole now uses her experiences to help guide, support, and be a voice for women who have been diagnosed with gynecological cancers. Thank you so much, Nicole and Stephanie, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So to start us off, Nicole, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Like, how did you get started with the GOSH podcast? Yeah, it was definitely inspired by my personal experience. So I was diagnosed with cervical cancer when I was 33, and most of my days were spent at BC Cancer Agency in Vancouver, either, you know, waiting for blood work or different treatment to start. And I found myself listening to a lot of podcasts and looking around for something that was focused on what I was going through at that time and didn't really come across anything and thought, you know, what a great way to connect patients with information, different advancements on treatment or research that's ongoing. A podcast is just such an easy way to do so. And so, you know, it just kind of got me thinking that wouldn't it be great if I could contribute or build some sort of community uh, that would support that. So uh, I got introduced to Stephanie at a survivorship summit that was hosted in 2019. And I presented there, shared my story and made some recommendations on things that I thought might be helpful for patients like myself. And one of them being the idea of a podcast. And Stephanie came up to me afterwards and said that she was really interested in chatting about it. And so we we got to talking and planning and the GOSH podcast was born. Stephanie, why don't you share a little bit about you as well? I've been working with the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative for several years now. 
um, and really like the biggest part of this role and such an important part of the role is about our patient engagement and patient-oriented research initiatives. So kind of how Nicole and I ended up getting connected, like she said, was at our survivorship summit. And we really then tried to prioritize patient-led and patient-initiated initiatives, which was the GOSH podcast. And we took a lot of different steps to try to um, make this podcast and this idea a reality. And we were very fortunate to be able to kind of start the project off and get it running. And um, it's been a really great platform to share patient stories and also to share research and different community initiatives that are happening on the ground as well. Um, and it really kind of springboard us into other types of patient-led and patient-initiated projects. Recently, last year, we were able to build a patient journey resource um, alongside our colleagues at BC Cancer. And this resource was co-created with a group of patient partners from all around BC and has really turned into a really useful educational resource for patients who are first going through their um, cancer diagnosis in BC. Um, so yeah, working with the patients and um, working on these types of projects has been so important. And it's been really impactful to be able to translate our research findings using a patient lens um, and using their lived experiences to inform how we go about um, translating this knowledge. And something I'm sure listeners are wondering as they listen to this episode is, you know, what is gynecologic cancer and how does it differ from other types of cancers? So gynecologic cancers basically refer to any type of cancers that starts in a woman's reproductive system. So this includes the cervix, ovaries, uterus, vagina, vulva, as well as the fallopian tubes. And these types of cancers are typically named after the specific organ or tissue in which they originate. And the symptoms can really vary depending on the type and the stage of cancer, but they could include anything from abnormal vaginal bleeding, pelvic pain or a lump or a mass in the pelvic area. So gynecologic cancers are you know, they're definitely around and impacting a lot of people, um, both locally as well as globally. So this year alone, there will be 12,000 people who will be diagnosed with the type of gynecologic cancer. And this actually accounts for at least one in 10 of all cancers and cancer deaths in women. So gynecologic cancers has definitely a really significant socioeconomic impact. And that is both kind of the direct cost of care but also the indirect cost related to kind of productivity and societal and family impacts. So clearly, it's really important to work on prevention, diagnosis, and treatment in order to mitigate the burden and the impact of these types of cancers. And, you know, gynecologic cancers are relatively understudied, as I'm sure the both of you know, women's health in general is often understudied for many, many years. Um, but with that being said, in the last 20 some years, there has been a really significant amount of progress done in the field of gynecologic cancers. And we now know that gynec cancers are vastly heterogeneous. So they are very different from one another, not just in the type of gynecologic cancers, but even within one specific type of can gynecologic cancer, there are multiple subtypes. So for example, there's ovarian cancer, which is different from cervical cancer, but within ovarian cancer, there's several subtypes which all respond differently. They have a different biology, different progression, 
different clinical presentation and patient outcomes. So it's really important that we're tailoring treatment strategies for each of these different types and subtypes of cancer, um, which really means that we should be researching them as separate entities, which is where the direction of the GCI and many researchers around the globe has shifted their research focus to look at each one of these as separate entities. And just to follow up from that, uh, Stephanie, something I'm sure we're curious about is to understand whether those stats have remained unchanged or in your research, did you find there was an uptick at certain point? I think the overall consensus is that, you know, because they are so heterogeneous, it's difficult to say for across all the different gynecologic cancers. There are definitely some types of cancers, such as ovarian cancer. We know that there has been relatively little improvement in terms of survival and survival rates for ovarian cancer. But we also know that there are many more prevention strategies that are being implemented and being normalized for gynecologic cancers. The first one being the HPV vaccine for cervical cancer. So, you know, that was implemented some years ago and, you know, we're, we'll be able to see how that um, is impacting the progression, the epidemiology of the disease over the course of several years, right? So I think there's still a lot of new discoveries, but there are definitely still areas where there are a lot of work that still needs to be done. Thank you so much for sharing those gaps and findings. What are some factors that can increase one's risk of developing this form of cancer? And how do those factors ultimately impact women's health? So some of the common risk factors, they're similar to what you might have for other types of cancers, um, things like smoking or pre-existing health conditions. So things like diabetes or uh, hypertension, obesity, mainly affecting endometrial. But some of those are you know, more common to other types of cancers as well. Some other risk factors for women who are 50 years or over. And then there's other things like genetic predispositions. So um, specific mutations such as the BRCA1 or BRCA2 genes, which would be higher risk for ovarian and endometrial cancer, personal family history of cancer. So breast cancer, for example, ovarian or colon cancer within the family. On the cervical, vaginal, and uh, vulvar cancer side, there's HPV infection is a huge risk. And then some hormonal contraceptives in certain types of gynae cancers have shown to have um, a lower risk, uh, particularly in uh, high-grade serous ovarian cancer. So some of those more specific to certain types of the gynecologic cancers that exist. And we were sort of discussing earlier sort of some of these blind spots in research. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on that and what new research developments are on the horizon for gynecologic cancer that our listeners should keep an eye out for. So there are definitely quite a few that are happening, quite a few that are within the BC environment as well. The first being opportunistic self-injectomy. So this is a prevention strategy that is used to prevent ovarian cancer. So most ovarian cancers are high-grade serous ovarian cancer, which currently there aren't any kind of effective screening methods and 
they commonly are diagnosed at a pretty advanced stage. So most patients will die within five years of their diagnosis. So this team, which is really kind of supported by the work here in BC, discovered that the site of origin, so where the cancer actually starts for high-grade serous ovarian cancer, is the fallopian tube. So this method called opportunistic salpingectomy is prevention through removing the fallopian tubes or the site of origin during another gynecologic procedure. So this could be if you're already going in for a hysterectomy or if you're going in for a tubal ligation for permanent contraception. Instead of doing those procedures, let's just take out the fallopian tubes so that there is no opportunity for high-grade serous ovarian cancer to kind of start. So this recommendation was picked up since 2011 by several groups around the world in both Canada and around the world. And our team has actually been able to demonstrate both safety and feasibility of the intervention. And just last year, the team was able to prove the effectiveness of opportunistic self-objectomy. So they were actually able to find that the number of individuals who developed ovarian cancer was lower than expected in patients who had undergone opportunistic self-objectomy, which really, again, um, supports that Opportunistic salpingectomy is associated with reduced risk for high-grade serous ovarian cancer. Um, so there's still definitely a lot of work that needs to be done in this particular domain. Um, you know, encouraging uptake of this procedure and just trying to find ways to kind of enhance that both locally, but mostly around the country. And um, we do have a GOSH podcast episode with Dr. Um, Jillian Hanley, um, who kind of dives into this in much more detail, um, talking about the science and everything. Another area that is of particular attention right now is in the area of molecular classification, um, in particular for endometrial cancer. So endometrial cancer is actually quite a common cancer. It's the fourth most common cancer in women globally, and it's on a trajectory to becoming the second most common cancer for women, only behind breast cancer. So historically, in order to diagnose this, you would use a pathological diagnosis, which they were actually able to find that does not actually accurately reflect the tumor behavior and the consequences that patients might have. So oftentimes patients were over-treated for what type of tumor they had, or other patients were under-treated for that particular type of cancer. So in the last five years or so, Dr. Jessica McAlpine and the BCT team have shifted the paradigm of endometrial cancer management by developing, confirming, and validating a new molecular classification tool. So this tool is called PROMISE. It's short for Proactive Molecular Risk Classifier for Endometrial Cancer. But basically, the PROMISE classifier will stratify patients into four different molecular groups, um, which are based off of risk, and it will inform the prognosis and really help direct care. Um, and to help guide, again, that kind of unique targeted types of treatment that patients should really be having. 
that accurately represents the type of cancers that they have. Um, so this molecular classification has been adopted by the WHO um, and integrated into other formal international guidelines to guide therapy, um, as well as the development of clinical trials. And in 2022, just last year, the BC team changed provincial policy so that molecular classification is now standard of care. Um, so no matter where patients are living in BC, they will go through this promise classifier to direct management of their cancer. And so this is a really exciting domain. And there's still a lot of work that, of course, needs to be done. But I think these sorts of principles and these sorts of, you know, again, seeing each cancer type as a unique and heterogeneous type of disease has really helped to kind of create treatments and create models that will help patients be treated on a very personalized level. And then I think the last thing that I'll just add on is just the research on survivorship quality of life and that entire domain. So cancer survivorship is definitely a quite under-researched environment, um, and it's only been in the last couple of years that the new treatments and new prevention strategies have really helped us be able to treat cancer patients. Um, and now we're handling a whole other set of questions as to how can we better support patients who are now in this new phase of their journey. This After they've gone through their treatment, how can we support them and to um, help them you know, manage their ongoing symptoms and ongoing health challenges that they may have as a result of cancer. So there are a number of people around the province who are dealing with these sorts of issues. Dr. Melanie Altis, Dr. Lisa Dawson, Dr. Lori Brado, who have all kind of been posing these questions and having their research focus on these areas um, has been really important. So overall, there have been a lot of discoveries that have actually been implemented and put into standard of care and policy changes around the province. Um, but there's always work to be done in terms of knowledge translation across BC, as well as across Canada and around the world. And this is really just to make sure that you know patients will be getting access to the most appropriate treatment that is based off of the most innovative, up-to-date research that is happening around the world. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing those discoveries. Sounds like we are headed in a positive direction as more prevention strategies and better health models are going to come out to help with treatment of such forms of cancer. We do have some really good episodes on the GOSH podcast. We've got one um, with Dr. Lori Brado talking about the impacts of sexual health after gynae cancer treatment, which is a really great one, as well as one with Dr. Lisa Dawson talking about the survivorship clinic that uh, she has established and the support that's being done there, which is really, really huge. Like I can speak from personal experience you know, not having a place to go, like Stephanie was talking about in that survivorship phase that really informed and educated me on what would happen after you finish chemo and radiation. So you're medically induced menopause at an early age, who manages that and how do you get the right supports and that the impacts to your sexual health is normal. And there's lots of different opportunities and treatments that can help support that. Some of that being hormone replacement therapy, or some of the work that Dr. Brado is doing around uh, mindfulness uh, can be really useful. So we've got some really great episodes that highlight that work that's been done, um, which would encourage your listeners to check out. Thank you, Stephanie and Nicole for joining us and to our listeners for tuning in. 
To learn more about gynecologic cancer, check out the GOSH podcast at gynecancerinitiative.ca. That's G-Y-N-E cancerinitiative.ca. We would also like to thank the UBC Medicine Learning Network, the University of British Columbia, and everyone that has donated to the Women's Health Research Cluster for their support of this project. If you want to help transform women's health on a global scale, donate to the Women's Health Research Cluster today at www.womenshealthresearch.ubc.ca. If you liked the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcasts on to be notified when new episodes drop every second Wednesday of the month. And check out our show notes online to dig into the resources we talked about today. We also have other exciting women's health research being shared on our women's health blog and through events like the Women's Health Seminar Series. So make sure to head over to our website at womenshealthresearch.ubc.ca to learn more. Until next time, I'm Chavi Mehra. And I'm Sarah Williscraft. Thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 